Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcroft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We will engage chapter 8 this evening, probably chapter 8, verses 1 to 6, uh, verses that will have us reflecting into the relationship between knowledge and love, some some rich reflections there to be had for sure. But before we get into that, I did just want to offer up a shout out to the folks that I met in Pennsylvania this past week. Teenagers, young adults, adults, just uh, a number of great people I had the chance to meet. You know, when I go to different parishes and or different schools, it really is a great joy for me to meet all sorts of new people. I am very much enriched by, by all the encounters that I have um, as I go into these parishes, and so it really is a great joy. I know some of you out there said you were going to tune into the podcast, so I did just want to welcome you out there, those folks in Pennsylvania. Now, that being said, there was something that I talked about this past week in Pennsylvania that has just stayed with me. And by way of opening reflection, I wanted to engage this topic of encounter, and maybe a way we haven't talked about before. We all have that one person in our life that if they were in our presence, they would have our attention. They would captivate us. And maybe this person isn't someone we necessarily know, but someone we elevate on a pedestal. This could be an actor, actress, a musician, maybe a sports star, that when they walked into the room, they would have your attention. I was uh, in a number of airports this past week, and I stopped in Las Vegas, and I couldn't make out who it was, but a great number of people were surrounding a very uh, tall man. I don't know if he was a basketball player, a football player, but certainly he had people's attention. He captivated people. So my friends, the question that I pose to you is, who captivates you? And then ask yourself another question. Does God have me captivated in that same way? God ought to captivate us. God ought to draw our attention. Think about that now, huh? How we need to be captivated by God. Because I will tell you one thing, my friends, and be rest assured of this truth. (laughs) God is captivated by you. Have you ever thought about that before? God is captivated by you. I mean, imagine if, let's say it's LeBron James. LeBron James walks into your presence. I'm sure he would have your attention. Imagine how captivated you might be with him in your presence. God is not only equally, but all the more captivated by you. I want you to reflect with that. I want you to contemplate that. Because this isn't some sort of spiritual embellishment. No, that is truth. Because God is absolute truth, absolute love. And no one can be as captivated as God is by us. Because God is presence. God is love. Okay, 
Let us turn our attention to 1 Corinthians 8. And I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 6. Maybe we'll get through 6. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if one loves God, one is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Amen. Okay, before we jump into the verses themselves, I think it would be important to look at just not chapter 8, but also chapter 8, 9, and 10 in its more topical sense, because in these three chapters— Paul will deal with the question of eating meat offered to idols. Now, for many of us, my friends, this might seem to be of little interest to the 21st century reader. Although the topic may be antiquated in many ways, the underlying gospel message is one, certainly, that the contemporary world and above all Christians need to hear. Because the question at hand is clear. Do we live for ourselves or do we live for others? This is the question that is at hand for sure. Now in regard to meat sacrifice to idols, we have to first, I think, appreciate the geography of what we are dealing with. Like all Greek cities of Paul's day, Corinth was awash with temples, huh? In point of fact, the Acro-Corinth mountain dominating the city from a height of some 1,800 feet, housed the ancient temple of Aphrodite. Many of us know who Aphrodite is. Aphrodite is the Greek goddess of love, right? So this is important when you think about these verses because that is the physical backdrop, but also the spiritual backdrop, right? Because Paul is doing something here. This is an 1,800-foot mountain, that is essentially an altar to the pagan goddess of love. And he wants to turn this image upside down so that we can begin to appreciate what's going on here as it relates to love. There is a new God, the one true God, and he is replacing how we think about love. And the whole revelation of God himself essentially is what is at the heart of Paul's verses here in chapter 8. And what of this phrase, uh, all of us possess knowledge? Well, it's a Corinthian motto, and, and Paul qualifies it by stressing that Christian knowledge is not merely factual or intellectual. Rather, my friends, it is grounded on a relational bond of love between the Lord and His people, right? Knowledge inflates with pride but love builds up. Knowledge, my friends, without love reduces one to nothing, Paul says later in this epistle. Knowledge without love reduces one to nothing. 
Love, my friends, the divine agape builds up community. We have defined love as to will the good of the other for the sake of other, right? That's Thomas Aquinas. Within that, we can begin to appreciate that love itself is sensitive to the needs of others, constantly applauding the gifts of others, never envious, right? Never jealous, which all the while fosters solidarity. An essential peace to love when you really get to the heart of it is what presence, presence. In my opening reflection, I talked about the importance of what? Presence. God is captivated by us. Love is always present to one another. And as such, it can then see what it needs to see. It is not preoccupied by all of those side glances. One of the great tools of Satan is to get us thinking about not just one thing or even two things, but three things at once so that we can't focus on the one thing that God wants us to focus on. Remember that beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. The Greek there for purity, katharos, literally translates as without mixture, one thing, a single-heartedness, a single-minded focus on God. That's what that beatitude is about. In many ways, we can say that beatitude is about being present to the one thing that God wants you to be present to. So I ask you, my friends, what is that one thing this evening that God desires you to be present to? Who is that one person that right now God is calling you to love? Now, I was engaging this subject matter over this past week, and someone came up to me and said, you know, Joe, I'm present to this person, but this person doesn't want to be present to me. Well, part of willing the good of the other sometimes means giving that person space. Remember, God never imposes. God never is the hammer on the nail. No, always proposing, never coercing, always inviting. This is a part of love. This is a part of what it means to will the good of the other. Sometimes being present is just listening responding when necessary, but understanding that first you must listen. You must be patient. Love builds up. You know, you might be versed in sacred scripture. You might be versed in philosophical and theological principles. You might be someone who is experienced a lot in life, and so consequently you have a lot to share. But my friends, there is no one greater virtue in each and every encounter than to Listen, because in that way, you are truly being present to them. In that way, you are truly loving them. Be in the Spirit so that when the Spirit prompts you to speak, speak. But know that anywhere and everywhere, all the time, (laughs) that virtue of silence, which always listens, is quintessential. Is absolutely quintessential. Okay, how about verses 2 to 3 here? If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. I love that verse. What does that verse crystallize, by the way? You have heard me quote St. Thomas Aquinas before, the more you come to know, the more you realize how little you know. (laughs) Well, isn't that verse 2, chapter 8, verse 2? If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. That's Thomas Aquinas right there. Or I should 
better say, Thomas Aquinas is expounding upon chapter 8, verse 2. But if one loves God, one is known by him. If one loves God, then one is known by him. What is important here, my friends, is that God knows us. If we know him, it is because he first knew us. He's the one knocking on the door of our hearts, huh? God's knowledge of us, biblically speaking, is equivalent to his loving choice of us, right? This counts both for the individual and the people of God as a whole. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 reads, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. Isn't that a powerful verse? I know that's a pretty popular verse. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. And how about prophet Amos chapter 3 verse 2? You alone have I known among all the families of the earth. So obviously God knows everything. But the knowledge Paul is talking about here is the knowledge of loving intimacy, bound by covenant. It is not that we have decided to love God and then he took notice of us. No, if we love God, this is a sign that God has already loved us. And here again, what he wants us to see is in the end, we can have knowledge about a lot of things and, and knowledge is a good thing. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It builds up, Paul later develops. But if knowledge is not, as I said, rooted in God, it doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. Knowledge has to be rooted in the love of God. All things must be rooted in the love of God. Knowledge can build up, my friends, if it is rooted in the love of God. All right, how about verse 4? Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. The Ignatius commentary, I think, has an important point here. Um, and it says this, It is true in a comparative sense that idols are nothing compared to Yahweh, but it is false in an ontological sense because Paul insists that demonic forces masquerade behind what appears to be lifeless idol images. So Paul is saying, be careful. To go before pagan idols, pagan statues, isn't harmless, okay? And certainly we can apply this 2,000 years later to today, where people go before pagan idols and offer up their sacrifices. Certainly within the satanic cult we see this. They go before Lucifer and offer up their sacrifices. There are demonic forces, my friends, and this is no game, something we are always to be present to. All right, verse 5, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Verse 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul distinguishes the Christian faith from paganism, which venerated many gods, and from Judaism, which declined to accept the messianic lordship of Jesus. Essentially, my friends, Paul wants us to understand 
and enter into the dynamic of that overarching truth about God and his relationship to the people that he has come to establish not a covenant that is bound to a nation or even a covenant that is bound to one kingdom. But no, now it is an international covenant where Gentile, Jew, Greek alike are called to enter into this great covenant. Just not a compact agreement, but a family bond sealed by a right, huh? Sealed by an exchange of just not things, but persons. I am yours and you are mine. We see all throughout the Old Testament, God entering into relationship with his people in this binding of oath, in this swearing of oaths. He does the same thing in the New Testament. But now the sign of the covenant is the Eucharist. Remember, Mark 14, 24, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25, 26, and 27. What does Jesus say? This is the blood of the New Testament. In about three chapters, we are going to really get into the nooks and crannies of what those verses are all about. And in many ways, the first 11 chapters, while they have their own distinctions, themes, certainly all point to 1 Corinthians 11. Yet for there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. We exist, my friends, because of the greatness of God's love. God didn't need us, right? God didn't need us. And in point of fact, I, I have received the question on a number of occasions, why did God create man? God created man because he is inexhaustible giving. He is the inexhaustible gift. He never stops pouring himself out. All he wants to do is love. And there's nothing greater than to actually give life, right? To actually give life. So he breathes life into man. And so it is we are called to glorify God in all that we do and say, because we owe our very existence to him, right? I speak of covenant here because through whom are all things and through whom we exist, covenant is the family bond. Covenant is that relationship, that seal that binds us. We enter into covenant relationship with God and we seal ourselves with God. We mark ourselves with God and we exist in and for God. All right. Okay, why don't we go ahead and jump to verse 7. We're doing pretty good on time today. All right, verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through being until now accustomed to idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. What's going on here? Well, the idol food controversy involves two groups of people, huh? The first being the weak, the weak whose conscience is fragile because of their recent conversion from idolatry. And then you have the strong, the strong whose conscience is better informed about idols, but whose conduct endangers the weak. 
In terms of knowledge, my friends, the weak appear to think that idols are associated with real divinities, whereas the strong possess that mature knowledge that there is only one God and one Lord, right? What we just talked about. Paul urges the strong to temper their knowledge and freedom with love, which again, does not assert itself in spite of others, but looks out for the good of others. The strong are warned that eating idol food can destroy a weaker brother by drawing him back into sins of idolatry. One of the things that's going on here, my friends, is that we have in our actions the power to influence one another, especially if we have the reputation of being strong, because by nature we have that tendency to look up to people, to put people on a pedestal. Again, what was I talking about in the opening? And so we need to draw back, we need to recollect that all-important virtue of recollection, right? And to be sure that we are imitating Christ in every situation all the time, right? Because people look up to us. You have heard me say before that your local pastor is like the town clock. You know, it just kind of draws your attention. My friends, if people look up to you, if you are someone's town clock, if you will, make sure that you are imitating Christ, imitating that divine agape, that divine sacrificial love. Huh? In this way, we will build up the kingdom of God. Very important, because if we don't, we can easily bring people down. We have to raise the bar. Huh? We have to raise the bar. I think there's a tendency today in this overemphasis on mediocrity to lower the bar. No, my friends, we need to raise the bar. We need to challenge one another to grow, to expand. My friends, to love, as God calls us to love, is to really allow God to invade our souls, to invade our hearts through and through, that our heart might actually begin to expand it has been said of the saint that their hearts were bigger than others. Why? Well, quite simply, because they allowed God to invade their heart through and through. They allowed God to take up all of that empty space in their heart. And in turn, what happened? God expanded the heart of those around the saint. I think this really is a mark of the saint. Wherever a Christian goes, when people are built up around that Christian, it is a sign, well, what did we just say? That they have allowed God to love them and that they in turn are giving glory to him. If we are just going about our day, functioning, if you will, so caught up in all the things we need to do, we are not going to build people up. Remember, my friends, we are not human doings but human beings, only in light of who we are in God, are we going to give glory to God in what we do. Remember, in God for other. New identity in Christ so as to better understand the goal for Christ. We come to know him so as to make him known. We be in God, again, that we might exist for other in what we do. Okay? All right. How about verse 8? 
Food will not commend us to God. We are not worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. What's that? No worse off, no better off. Paul here is ambivalent toward idle food to the extent that nothing about the food itself is inherently dangerous. Now, this is important because in Judaism, this was thought to be a truth, right? He cautions, however, that although eating idle food is harmless in principle, it can be harmful in practice because it can lead both the weak and the strong into that grip of idolatry. He clarifies here, and this was an important clarification for the Corinthian people. Okay, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are out of time. We'll go ahead and stop with verse 8 there. And my friends, as I wrap up this evening's program, I want us to think about something. God has put a challenge before us, okay? A very real challenge for us. Do we exist for ourselves or do we exist for other? What does verse 6 say? Yet for there is one God, the Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Our existence is in God and for God. Consequently, if we exist for ourselves, we will begin to shrink. We will begin to turn in on ourselves. And ultimately, it will lead to a kind of isolation and depression that is absent of life. No, we must exist for other because we exist for God. God is absolute other-centeredness, right? So let us be other-centered in all that we do. We've probably heard this before, but I challenge you to embrace what you've already heard. I challenge you to internalize these words and to integrate these words into practice. Whether you are a teacher, a counselor, an accountant, a mechanic, an engineer, whatever you do, integrate these words. Be present to other. First and foremost, if you are husband or wife, father or mother, exist for your children, exist for your spouse. It is life-giving, my friends. It is where we find joy. All right, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift of reflection itself that we might contemplate the deeper meaning of your words as they come to us in this beautiful text that St. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. 2,000 years later, we can take these words and apply them to our own lives, that we might grab hold of the deeper Christian truth anywhere and everywhere, all the time, so that we might become the saint that you have called us to be. Dear Lord, I know each and every one of us has been entrusted with a vocation. Give us the grace and the strength to enter into what that vocation is, that we might set the world on fire. Amen? Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.